0: everybody to a bonus episode of don't shoot the messenger i am the show's producer jane yield and i'm joined by caroline wilson and corrie perkin caro will be sunning herself somewhere on a beach hopefully by the time you actually receive this but we do like to keep everyone you know with a little something to listen to while you have a bit of sunshine caro so thank you so much ladies
1: why does she deserve the holiday and not
2: me? That's what I want to know.
0: <laughs> you would, don't. I work as hard as she does. You do
2: harder, probably. And if you were having a holiday, we'd say you deserved it too. And when you do have a holiday, we'll say that, Corrie. Oh, okay, okay. So, you, you,
1: in other words, you're saying I, I need to be pleasant about this.
0: We haven't done one of these little Q and As for a while. In fact, I'm very impressed by you girls are uh, coming in every week, week on week to record. Don't shoot the messenger. That's why I need a holiday. <laughs> Look, I just thought I'd ask you as we take a bit of a mid-season review, how are you finding the podcasting thing? I mean, we've had most of your families in, we've had kids, we've had, you know, parents. How are you finding it? And what's the, the mood like at home? Are people still a bit wary of, don't mention that on the podcast? No, it's been very generous
2: from our place. Um, Ned got a good review, a big thumbs up. My son Ned from all of our family and a few of my friends, which was nice. I'm always happier when my kids get a good review than me. I, I still love curry people complete strangers bailing me up in the street and saying they're enjoying the podcast or saying that they didn't know I was interested in this or that or another string to the bow etc and yeah, I, well, you, you're you, inundated in the bookshop.
1: Well you told me a few weeks ago maybe it was a bit longer than that that you were at a footy turn um, some dinner somewhere and people were coming up to you saying I listen to the podcast men and women and you found that in a way more pleasing than if they came up and said, "Oh, good front page lead yesterday."
2: <laughs> well, it's just nice because it, it is quite personal. But well, we are personal. We yeah. lay, our, we lay ourselves on the line. You know, you get what you listen to. It's bang yeah. for your buck here. I don't, don't know whether I should have mentioned that story about how none of no one had come to Charlie Girl with me in grade six. <laughs> but Jane, you do forget because I honestly just think that I'm sitting here with Corrie having a chat, and in fact, one of our dear friends, which was vaguely offensive, although I'll choose not to be offended by it, said she hadn't seen us for a couple of weeks and she said, but I don't actually need to see you that much anymore because I just listened to what you've been doing on the podcast. Well, I said, well, that wasn't really
1: the idea. Is that why our social invitations have dried up? And <laughs> You and I end up playing Scrabble together sick on a
2: Friday of having night. us in their kitchens anyway.
1: Um, I, I just love the community that's growing around this podcast, um, Jane, of men and women who not only are contacting us via all the various social media, but who, as Kara said, come into the shop or or see her at the footy or something and say something, and they immediately feel part of whatever it is that we have here, you know, a very inclusive gang of friends, and the gang, thankfully, is getting bigger and bigger, so um, all power to the pod.
0: And, Carrie, we mentioned a, a few Q&As back that, you know, people I find ask me and say, oh, what's she like? Like there's just this obsession with whether She's or not. She's unpopular. She couldn't <laughs> find anybody to go to Charlie <laughs> Girl with. That's <laughs> our referencing episode 41. Have you found, though, that people have maybe changed their tune and gone, hmm, Caroline Wilson, not just a hard-ass journalist? Well, I don't think they ever said <laughs> that to my face anyway, Jane. So,
2: you know. She but- reads a book. <laughs> It's like when people come up to you and say you're much more attractive than on television and then you think, well, is that a compliment or not? Or I wouldn't have recognised you from the television. No, I, no one's actually said that sort of thing. But they do are interested in talking about other things now, which is good, which is definitely a good thing. You
1: and Kevin from Geelong, all
2: you do is talk about the podcast now. You don't talk about footy. We do. And it's, I never thought I'd see the day when Jared Waitley would, oh, I don't think I'm giving up her intimate secret here, would text me for my prawn pillows recipe. <laughs> Well, it was actually for his beautiful wife, Claire. But
0: I, still, think he, I think he might have <laughs> given that away. Claire. I've had the pleasure of working with Mr. Waitley uh, more recently and I can actually imagine him whipping up some prawn pills. well Well, I, th- I think it was Claire who wanted the recipe, but even so I was sort
2: of thrilled that they listened.
0: It's actually surprising how many men in the AFL sphere enjoy a bit of cooking. Of course, uh, Damien Barrett with Damo's Dish, another Croc Media podcast, been trading a few sort of secrets. There has been talk of a cook-off between you guys and, and possibly Damo. the likes oh, of Damien Barrett. On, I
2: say, bring yeah, it on! I don't think Hutchie's going to take part in that, but it, well, I, I should. Um Mention Damo because it's thank heavens for Damo because um, the sounding board. he's stepping into your high heels. Oh yeah. Not only is he the star of stage and screen and sounding board, but he's filling in for me on Footy Classified. And as we know, he's a great newsbreaker, great on TV. So seamless. Oh, Nance,
1: you might come back and there's no job for you. Well, they
2: say that every year. They always say, oh, the show's rated much better when you were away.
0: (laughs) Now, Caro, what makes a perfect holiday for you? Is it absolutely switching off and not looking at your phone or is it being able to feel connected to the world but also just being in an exquisite new location?
2: Oh, look, Oh, gee, Jane, there's so many great places to have a holiday. I must say I do love that feeling of... Just being in your bathers all day and then having a shower at the end of the day and just being in a sleeveless dress and never thinking about a jumper, never thinking about a cardigan, certainly having no phone and reading a book every three or four days. That is my ultimate idea of relaxation. And, you know, going off somewhere really beautiful for lunch every day and having a glass of wine. And-
1: but don't you think there are two types of holiday? I always, I always put it in the basket of you have an adventure... Or you have yep, a holiday, like true. a relax, like you said. And the perfect thing is to actually have enough time where you can do both. So, whether you're overseas or just even, you know, down at the beach or in the country or something, you do the adventure. So, it might be a big bushwalk, or it might be if you're in London, do the galleries or something like that. And then, you know, come home via a Greek island or something and then just plonk. I think that's just
2: perfect. Yeah. I like moving on holidays. I like, I, that's why I would never, I don't like the idea of a boat, to cruise. I mean, I, I like going somewhere and getting on a boat by day and going somewhere nice and swimming and having lunch, but I like walking or cycling holidays, I, and I love what an element of walking because that's where you really see things.
0: Now, Corrie, I know that you and I have both got holiday envy, as we spoke about in our last I'm episode. I'm over it now. No,
1: I'm I'm completely, I'm accustomed to it now, Jane. Well,
0: I would love to extend an invitation because um, I have a little house in Ballarat that I, I visit quite frequently, and you're always down there. Can I take you pine mushroom hunting yes, in a forest? Yes, please. I did mushrooming last year, and because it was
1: so dry, the actual weekend that we paid our money to go mushrooming, there were hardly any mushrooms, now, so i um,
0: really keen to do. I promise I won't poison her, Caro, while you're away, but I do know my way around a a mushroom and a fungi hunt, so let's do that, and then post images of our amazing risottos for Caro to drool over.
2: I look forward to that. You you gave us a great recipe last year from your mushroom foraging. That Mm. was beautiful. Mm, It was yum.
0: Um, I get really anxious about not being able to take my chiropractic pillow on holidays. Cara, is there something that you must take with you on holidays or am I just completely lame? You're pretty lame. <laughs> I'm sorry. I no, I don't
2: I don't worry about pillows. I can sleep anywhere. Oh. Um no, I don't. I'm pretty good like that. I you just have ta- to have books. I have to have books. I always take far too much luggage, but I'm trying not to, as we know this year. And I'll send you a photo, Corrie, of my hand luggage to prove that I've done have it. Have you done the three, three, and three rule? Well, I haven't actually packed yet because you know it's like writing a story. I always put it off to the last minute. Three dresses, three shorts. Three undies, yeah, three bathers. I can't wear shorts with my legs. So I've got a, a pair of nice pair of silk pants making up for the shorts. But yeah, no, I would just bathers, Jane. I really, really don't have something I need. I'm happy to leave all that at home. I do think Melbourne is a great city to come back to. I mean, I suppose everyone says that about their home city, but I think Melbourne is.
0: Now, you mentioned you can sleep anywhere, Carrie, which I'm a little bit jealous of. I have to be horizontal, which just is so annoying if you're in an airport or something. Um, Carrie, I'm interested to know about your theories on sleep. I seem to hear podcasts and, and commentary about how sleep is the most important thing we can all do for better health and better well-being. Do you agree or disagree? Well, I think sleep is an interesting uh,
1: experience. As you get older, it seems to be harder to, um, manage and so recently I gave up coffee about two or three months ago because I was sleeping badly and I just thought oh I'm not going to do pills or anything like that and it's it has I think really contributed to a better night's sleep but also a podcast in your e- in your earphone is incredible especially if they're dulcet tones you don't want anything that's too Razzy but um you know someone like Philip Adams late night live catch up with him or any of the BBC announcers Um, They really will put you to sleep in the nicest way. I know, Carol, and I put people to sleep.
2: (laughs) People have told us (laughs) they go to sleep with us. I'm I'm complimented by that.
1: I am too, but uh, but I think um, I, I just think that really take it take it quietly as you go to bed, and also the other thing is to try and have your electronic devices away from your bed, which is hard if you want to listen to a podcast, but really try and just not do Instagram, at, you know, at 10 o'clock at night.
0: And I've also learned to set my sleep timer because I have all these true crime podcasts in my podcast feed. I go asleep, you know, listening to something lovely about food and then I wake up having nightmares about serial killers because <laughs> I've left the stupid thing running and suddenly I'm listening to some That's
2: right. well, oh I reckon books are better for getting back to sleep. <laughs> no, but,
0: you, but, sometimes, good Ruth but, but or, sometimes
1: you just, you want a quieter state than that. You don't want to put the light on. Mm. But you want to take your mind off. I mean, as we've talked about in recent months, you know, we've had lots of business issues and lots of worries. And so I've found that when I'm alone with my thoughts, um, it's the night terrors strike me. So if I actually put on a little podcast and interview, you know, Melvin Bragg talking about, you know, Shakespeare, like, wow, that's beautiful. I'm learning and I'm going to sleep at the same time.
0: Now we talked a couple of episodes, you know, in in the recent uh, couple of months about parenting and you guys have had some great advice for people about raising daughters and raising sons. I enrolled my son at school last week, which I don't know where the last five years have gone, but I was chatting away to this couple who then sort of said, oh, you seem really nice. We didn't go to this school because they were all so old and all these older parents all go and I'm like I don't think they realise I'm, like, nearly 44. So I oh, suddenly... just is, is this just you showing off by, about how young you're looking, you Jane? You don't look 44. <laughs> but I suddenly realised that, oh, my goodness, there's such a divide these days perhaps between, you know, younger parents and then, you know, people like myself and, and a whole host of others. I know you've got friends and family, Corrie, you know, people expecting babies who might be past the sort of 35 uh, age group. Do you have any theories on this about being an older parent or... As younger mums, I guess could I call you younger mums back in the day? Was it? Something well, Corrie was weird? younger.
2: Corey was probably younger than me, but we both. Well, I was in. I
0: was younger
2: than you. Very, very, very late twenties when I had my first child, but I, I think I. You know what I reckon? I reckon that's one thing about schools: people make no judgments at all. I had friends of every age group because my children were from oldest to youngest, six years apart. So I was one of the older mothers by the time Clem was. In, in senior school, although there were heaps of mothers older than me, and I... I was one of the well, I was probably on on average with Rose, or maybe you know, maybe maybe there were quite a, more, more mothers older than me then. But I, that's what I love about the schoolyard parent community because it's egalitarian in that way, don't you think, mm. Corrie? I think the divide's between working and non-working. Oh,
1: well, that, that's the big divider in a school community. That can really break friendships, who works and who stays at home. But, um Jane, just on the older parent, younger parent thing, I learnt really early on because I was a younger parent, most of the parents, and in fact, some of the families with Francesca being the eldest, she was in a class with somebody who was the youngest, so they'd been parenting for 15 years. I learnt to latch on to people for great advice. So especially when they're in those difficult years of, you know, year six, year seven, year eight, and it's, you know, gatherings or going outs or drinking or anything like that, I would always defer to the older parents who'd had other children, and they had, by the fourth or fifth child, or in the case of our good friends, you know, um, Jane and Peter, they had six kids. And I just deferred to Jane for so much advice on that, because she was wise, they'd been through it, they'd probably been, you know, over disciplinary with the first one, but by the time the fifth and the sixth child come on, they've nailed parenting. So so that actually is my good local tip for today. <laughs> Hang off the coattails of the older parents.
2: Yeah, that that that's actually true. I, I, I did exactly the same thing. And then all of a sudden, I remember one Famous New Year's Eve, where one of Clem's gorgeous friends threw up on my shoulder when she was hugging me, telling me what a nice mother, <laughs> what a cool mother I was. There'd been an incident at a party, and a few of us had to leave our New Year's Eve party. Think I was the one who said I wouldn't drink that night, and I, you know, you really want to be hanging around with uh, a couple of local police and an ambulance man, don't you, <laughs> at midnight on New Year's <laughs> <laughs> Eve? And anyway, but her mother later said to me, "Oh, you know, you're such a, you know, you've been such a um, great." Um, role model, role something. model yeah. for me because you know because her daughter was the oldest and my daughter was the youngest and I remember thinking oh, what have I done I mean I don't think I've been been a terrible role model but uh, anyway it was just a very interesting um, shift but Jane you don't have to worry about buying you know a new outfit for the school drop off you don't have to worry about putting on full makeup people will
1: love you the biggest I- the biggest worry is when you tell them that you work that's when the schoolyard is carousel is divided. Do I help. have
0: to dye my hair? I've got the greys coming. I've never thought of it. I just always thought I'd be like, no, nope, supernatural, no, uh, you know, none of that for me. Well, but now I'm like,
1: what it's, about my poor look, it's, it's an individual <laughs> choice, but I'll tell you what, you've got the most beautiful dark hair. I'd keep dyeing it or not. Dye- I mean, you haven't started, yes. <laughs> but you know, like do it at some point, do it because it is the most beautiful color. And Masquerade is 30. All right. Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> now, we might just uh, quickly touch on a question from Facebook, from Andrew Weaver. What effect will Ben Ball leaving Penguin Random House have on the Australian literary market? I'm sending this one to you, Corrie. And where do you see Australian literature heading with the downsizing of publishing houses?
1: Oh, well, you know, good and bad news on that. So, bad news that Ben um, who is it? Ben Ball, has a terrific publisher, has been for many years, he's great Friends and mentor of people like Tim Winton, who actually came out uh, last week and said he was appalled by this decision to um, let Ben go. I'm sure Ben will pop up somewhere else at one, maybe one of the smaller publishing houses like Text or Black Ink or something but when i first came, when i first opened the bookshop i was amazed at how many books there are every publisher has to sell we, you know, we don't need this many this number of books and so many of them are b and c grade fiction it's just appalling and you would never put them in your bookshop so i always felt that a streamlining needed to occur not such a bad thing and i think when you when a big publishing house like random house merges with penguin like they did 2 years ago the fallout then occurs 2 or 3 years later and that's what we're seeing now corporate change and that's sad and inevitable but you do get a bit of strength coming from the bottom so in Melbourne you know we're so rich with small publishing houses run by dynamic people so um, I you know I think it's just part of the circle of life really.
0: And it was interesting, actually, in uh, in our last episode, you had a book which was self published by Wolf Tasker about the Lake House. Do you see more of that happening? Where, as uh, the same as podcasts, and people able to actually publish themselves, there is a bit, but it's also little
1: publishing houses taking on uh, adventures. Like, well, not not in that case because that was self published, but um, you know they're having a shot because they they and they'll do a small print run, and try and get their margins, and then any capital that they make, they'll reinvest back in their company. So instead of doing, you know, three books in the first year, they might then do six or eight. So, uh, you know, I think things are looking pretty good in Australian publishing.
0: Now, one for you, Caro. Uh, We'll quickly go through this. Look, people can find links on our Twitter feed. A lot of people pinged us with an article link by Sam Lane, Samantha Lane, I think originally published on The Guardian uh, with the byline, a boil burst, the AFL's population of senior female coaches goes extinct with initial fears the AFLW has created for women, was created for women. Women to play in and men to manage are deepening. Did you um, see this article, Carolyn? Do you have any thoughts about this? We have oh, sort I did.
2: Of talk- well, actually, I, I wrote a similar column um, a few, oh, probably about a month ago. And in fact, Sam spoke to me before she then wrote her piece for The Guardian. She said she'd read mine with great interest. Um, mine was looking at four key planks of the AFLW when it was set up. One of them was Beck Goddard, the Premiership coach of the inaugural premiership team, Adelaide. And then, of course, there was Meg Hutchins, who had been Collingwood's first woman football manager, brought in by Graham Allen. And, you know, of course, he'd come in to run that team's footy operation, so they said, but that was another story. And then, of course, there was the coach of the Fremantle football club, Michelle Cowan, who quit despite being offered a two-month contract. And then finally, Peter Searle, who'd gone to St Kilda, who has now been relegated back to their women's footy team, even though she wanted to work with the men's team. My view is, and I can't believe the backlash, I don't know whether Sam got much backlash from her piece in The Guardian. I certainly did from mine in the age. I mean, a lot of people agreed with it, and I think a lot of the women really appreciated it, but people were saying they're just not good enough. They're just not, you know, there aren't that many good women coaches. It's a developing league, and they want men, and they all had a thousand excuses, but no one could explain to me why, in the first year, or certainly the second year, I should say, of AFLW, there were eight coaches, Jane, and six of them were men, and they all had full-time jobs in the industry, and the two women didn't. And so when, you think this is sexism? I do. I I, and and that footy clubs are not prepared. They're prepared to have Beck Goddard and Michelle Cowan, but they're not prepared to professionally develop them to the degree they want to be developed, and they're not prepared to meld them into their men's programs when the women's program isn't running. Now... Not, I'm not saying they should be a senior assistant coach, but why wouldn't you put, the, put in the funding and the time to these women if you thought there's, they were good and enough and to coach the so team much, in the first place? And they
1: can contribute in so many ways. Fitness with players, you know, mentoring players, um, yep. you know, might not be game day up in the box with the senior coach, but they could do everything else.
2: Look, it, it is, and it, and even people, senior AFL people were, I think, quite glad I wrote the column because it was a good talking point. And Sam, interestingly, was quite prophetic when he wrote her book Raw, which was um, released start of this year. A really good book about the birth of the Women's AFLW. Um, he actually made that comment that there was a concern even then. This is before both Bec Goddard and Michelle Cowan had left their clubs, that this might be the case, a League for women run by men. A little bit like, you know, well, along the similar lines to the Indigenous issue we discussed in episode 41.
0: So where do we go from here? Like, is it just people like yourself and Sam calling out this culture that's going to move it forward? Or should we actually have some sort of, you know, proper pathway set in place. I think, again, we need to make sure that women are part of – there has
2: to be a certain amount of women working in every program. Carlton absolutely dedicated um, their new coaching search by saying they'd probably get a male coach, but they wanted a woman football manager who is female. And I'm not even sure they're going to go down that path now because um, they say they're finding it hard to find candidates.
1: We're never afraid, Jane and Caro, to call racism when we see it. So why should anybody ever be afraid to call sexism when we see it? And, you know, clearly this is because these women have
2: talent and, you know, as you said, Caro, they should be nurtured and developed. Well, there's no doubt a lot of women players want men coaches because you know there are more men that are more qualified but these two women were clearly qualified and for some reason they did not feel embraced by their clubs
0: Well, I hope we're sitting here in a year's time with the stats looking completely different and and a lot more women involved in those levels in the sport. And we can say, oh, back then was an issue, but look how far we've come. Fingers crossed. Well, thank you, ladies. And, of course, to all the potties out there, I am constantly collecting questions and saving tweets and checking your Facebook comments. If you've ever got any questions... I loved our questions today, Jane. (laughs) If you've got any questions you'd like to pose to Caro and Corrie, make sure you send them through. And we'll be back with footy tips in the week to come and who knows maybe we'll get a stand in for caro corrie while she's away and just do an episode without her
2: yeah bad I luck. i thought caro. i was irreplaceable. Yeah.
0: <laughs> clearly not oh, well,
1: clearly damian barrett doesn't agree with that
0: <laughs> thank you caro thank you corrie Thanks, what Jane. do we say
1: don't shoot the messenger